Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. Started this small interlude series between Advent and Lent called What's That About? And today, from your responses, we determined that that would be the rapture. How many of you have ever heard of the rapture in some shape or form or just the word? Oh, okay. So, y'all know. Okay, so what is it? I'm not kidding. I'm kidding. You don't have to tell me what it is. I'm going to tell you what it is. That's why you're here. So one of the things about the rapture is that it is not a United Methodist doctrine. It's not part of our tradition. And we who are descended from the Roman Catholic Church and then the Anglican Church of England into United Methodism, it's not part of our doctrine. But it is very well known within the greater Christian world. And now, thanks to Left Behind, everybody seems to know. Right? There was a book series and now a television series, and the authors of Left Behind cite this text here. In fact, I have just read to you all of the biblical support for the rapture. That's it. You got it. Because the rapture was expounded upon by American Christians, specifically of the Protestant branch of theology, in the late 17th century, um, it didn't start to appear in any kind of scholarly writing until 1828, the word rapture, referring to this passage. And it has grown. The Puritans were very fond of that concept, and their thoughts grew, and the Baptist church has really kind of embraced it. And so it is definitely part of our culture, not only in the United States, but in Christendom, especially in American Christianity. And you're likely to encounter the concept, the term, and even the doctrine and theology. And so it's helpful if you know what it is. Well, in order to explain exactly what the concept is, I want to explain what Paul was doing. So the idea is that people died in Thessalonica. People die all the time. However, in Paul's day, as he was traveling around and planting churches, he went to Thessalonica and he planted a church and he transferred his faith to them and many people believed and were converted. And Paul was telling them, Jesus is coming back soon. Paul expected for Jesus to return in his lifetime. So in order for there to be people to enjoy the coming of Christ, they thought all they had to do was hold on just a couple years, control themselves, control their sinful inclinations, hold it together, hold tight, because Jesus is coming back imminently. Instead, people started dying. The church lasted long enough that some people died. And the church in Thessalonica was mourning. They were upset. They wrote to Paul and said, what about those people who died? Now what? And Paul was writing them back. He wanted to comfort them. He wanted to give them hope. He said that. We don't grieve as those who have no hope. And you can tell in his words that he expects that he will be those, part of those who are alive. We declare to you that we who are alive... 
we who are alive and who are left will be caught up in the clouds together with those who have passed. They're going to be resurrected first, and we'll be caught up together, and we will be together once more. Well, in his desire to comfort those who were mourning, he wrote these words, and they inspired people. Even one of the authors of the Left Behind series states that his conversion moment happened when a pastor was comforting the congregation about the death of someone, and he had lost his father. And when the pastor said, those people who are gone, you will see them again, he read for them 1 Thessalonians 4, and then he told them, in the rapture, we will be reunited. And so the rapture plays an important part in the conversion experience and in the faith story of one of the authors of Left Behind. So it's not surprising that they built this entire genre around it. Now, there are Christians who are very apocalyptic. They're very focused on the end times. And let's be honest, if you've been watching the news, you can get that impression that it can't possibly get any worse. And so they, you can understand why people cling to that knowledge and that, that understanding of this passage. But for us, when we focus on the fact that in Methodism, we believe first and foremost in a God of grace, we start there. That is square one for us, that humankind had fallen away from God's teachings, that we were not good listeners, and we certainly weren't good at obeying God's word. And so we needed to have a way in which we could be reconciled. And God accomplishes that through grace specifically the grace of the cross. And so we understand that there is nothing that can separate us. One of the challenges of the rapture is that it can be used to exclude people. And I say a challenge because I don't think it's an evil doctrine. It's not ours, but it's not evil. And when I hear people talk about the rapture, I've heard it spoken of in two ways. There are those who are in and who are going, and those of you who are behind. I don't really like that kind of language. I don't really think that's consistent with a God who came to save everyone, as the gospel account of John says. So instead, I'm interested when people use it to say, when Christ returns, there will be this moment where we will all be brought up. Everyone will be uplifted. Everyone who so desires to be saved will be included. Because that's how grace works. Grace is God saying to you, the forgiveness, the second chance, the love that you have always wanted, I have it for you. And I'm simply waiting for you to decide that you want it. Imagine if life were like that. If when you wanted to have money in your bank account, you logged on on your app and ta-da, there it was. Life would be so amazing. Or if that time at home, you know, you eat dinner and then you're like, I could really go for a slice of pie. Let's open the fridge and see. I've never had that experience. We don't bake in my house, so I never open it up and, oh, look. Someone miraculously baked a pie and left it in my fridge. That's never happened to me. But God's grace is like that. The moment that you decide that this is truly what you want, God's like, I've got it right here for you. It's yours. But it isn't just like that for Christians. It's like that for any person that decides that they want God's love and grace. If you want into the kingdom to come, God says it is yours. So if we don't have this concept of the rapture of being taken up, then what is the concept in the United Methodist Church and in many other Christian denominations? It centers around what Christ himself has said. And if we go back to the gospel account of John, Jesus says these words in chapter 14, verse 18, I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you. 
In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And he continues at 23 and says, Those who love me will keep my word, and my Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. We reiterate this when we pray the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That God's kingdom is coming here. Now, when Paul wrote the first letter to Thessalonica, it was about 15 to 20 years after Jesus resurrected. And about 50 years after that, John of Patmos wrote Revelation. And so if we go to the book of Revelation, we have insight into something that Paul did not know. It wasn't conveyed to Paul. It wasn't prophetic writing given to him. It was given to John. And there John writes this in chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more, for the first things have passed away. And so here in the United Methodist Church, we embrace what Jesus has said in countless gospel accounts and also reiterated in the prophecy of Revelation that God isn't requiring us to go. God is coming to us. Just as grace has always been here when we decide we want it, God isn't making us traverse. The days of making God's people go from one long distance to another are over. Instead, it's about God reaching out and coming to us. And God does that not only through love and kindness and compassion, but God does it through grace and ultimately fulfilled in God's willingness to come here. The Gospel account of Matthew tells us that when Jesus ascended into heaven, he did so on a cloud, as you've got depicted here in the stained glass window at the, at the back of the sanctuary. And there we see exactly what the Gospel was describing, and the apostles are looking with great awe and wonderment at him rising into the air. And the Gospel account tells us that when it was over, two angels appeared and said, Why are you looking at the sky? Why are you staring up there? One, you've got work to do down here. And two, he will come back at a time not yet appointed, and he will come back the same way he went up, that we expect to see him descending on a cloud, just as John of Patmos describes in the book of Revelation. And so they were told to go out and do their work, because one of the things about being obsessed with the end of days is that you get locked in with fear and you get so dialed into it that that's all you talk about. Do you ever have one of those friends? that all they do is talk about this one thing, and you're like, there's other things here. We need to explore other things. You can't just get locked into that. And Jesus did not mean for us to know when he was coming back. He actually says that. When the apostles ask him, when? When are you coming back? Jesus says, not even the Son of God, I myself know. Only God the Father knows. Only God the Father. And that's the way God the Father wants it. Peter reiterates this when he says, it will come like a thief in the night. That if we were to know, all we would do is hold on and do nothing. We wouldn't grow the kingdom. We wouldn't be focused on other things because all we're trying to do is hold it down until Jesus returns. Instead, it's about being in ministry here and now. 
And our job in the church is not to build gates and barriers and obstacles and make people jump hurdles. That's not why we're here. Did you notice that when Blake wanted to join, he walked right down the center aisle? We didn't make him traverse an obstacle course. This isn't American Gladiator. He didn't have to mount the summit and then fight me with giant, like, actually, that'd be kind of fun, Blake, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> but you have to be careful about getting locked into one thing. So how many of you were slightly shocked that that's the only place that it talks about the rapture? Right? A few of you. Well, let me give you an example of when you hear something one place and you get completely locked into it, right? And it can be a bad thing. So yesterday I was out shopping and I went to a store and I'm looking at books because that's what I do. I look at books and shoes. And I was looking at books in the store and the salesperson came up and said, oh, we have this new book and it tells your fortune based on your birthday. And I'm like, okay, what's your birthday? September 23rd. So she opens it up and she starts reading and there's all these very ambiguous but mostly positive things that it's saying. And then it says, you lack originality. She looks at me and she goes, I don't think this is accurate. <laughs> no, I didn't buy the book. But, you know, what if I believed it? It's written in a book. What if, what if I really did believe I lacked originality? Linda is always yelling at me on Monday morning, Sarah, you're doing all the same old things and we've seen this a million times and you really got to mix it up because everybody always expects the same thing and your shoes are boring. She tells me all the time. You know, and if I believed it, if I believed that, you know, well, that's what it says. I have to lack originality. I got to get rid of all my shoes and I got to get 200 more that are all some shave of mauve. Right? I got to get rid of my clothes because I can't wear the clothes that I wear because that might be a little off kilter and original. And so therefore I have to change my whole life around because of this one thing. Instead, I have to balance what I hear with my experience and my reason and also what the scripture and the tradition says. The tradition said that it was improper for clergy to preach anywhere but the pulpit. And John Wesley realized that when he stood in the pulpit, the people that were outside that really needed to hear the gospel couldn't hear him. So then he took to preaching in the fields and in the streets and in a second-story window. And people said, that's not proper. It's not traditional. And John Wesley said, I don't care. Because what's more important isn't that I look proper but instead that people hear the gospel, that they know that it is for them, that grace comes to them where they are and meets them and has the opportunity to enter into their hearts. And if I have to make a fool of myself, if I have to lean out a window, if I have to stand on a box, then I will do that because that is what is more important than having people look at me and think that I am a proper English gentleman. But it's also biblical. We serve a God who states repeatedly, see, I am making all things new. So if something is new, if something is original, it might be from God. There are other ways in which we have to balance that. But ultimately, we have to discern whether or not what we hear resonates with us. So while I certainly don't forbid anybody from believing in the rapture, I do listen very carefully to hear whether we are using it to separate those who are in and those who are out, or whether we are using it to comfort those who mourn, like Paul intended. And there are many places in Christendom where we have latched onto one idea, 
And we have used it in such a way that it has become a barrier to people. We are not called to be those people. If the next time I welcome someone to come down and join the church and you all get out and like create a mob that they have to get through, we are missing the point, right? You don't stick a cane out in the middle of the aisle to trip somebody. We don't put chairs that you have to jump over. Instead, we are the ones that move things out of the way so that people have an unimpeded path to Jesus Christ. That's what grace means. And if grace is part of your understanding of the rapture, then God love you. I've got no issue with you. But you're not going to hear me preaching the rapture because it's not our tradition. I think there is something truly profound about the notion that God loves us so much that God comes to us. And I'm pretty sure there's a lot of biblical precedent for that understanding. So while I had the experience of being told I lacked originality, I didn't go home and cry. I didn't think that my whole life was a lie. Instead, I just realized that that's not my truth. It might be someone else's truth, but it's not mine. And so we recognize that in the church, that there are things about which we differ on opinion, but ultimately it is the one Jesus Christ that binds us together. And if we are willing to let grace be that glue, then nothing will tear us apart. This is who we are. And this is the message that God has for us every single day. That we were called to be the Christian that each of us can be with the help of the Holy Spirit. Not that you should all be me or that I should mold myself to be you. But instead that each and every one of us has something truly special a unique spin in which you put Jesus Christ forth into the world. And that's a good and joyful thing. Not that we are all the same. For all I know, some of us may rise up in the air when Jesus returns. There are plenty of people who've got mad air. But instead of focusing on that, I'm focusing, focusing right now on ensuring that we make grace as readily available to all people as we can. I feel like that's our task, and I welcome anyone who wants to join me in that endeavor. No matter what your footwear, no matter what your fashion sense is, the heart of Jesus Christ is what should show through in our words, and our thoughts, our feelings, but most assuredly our deeds. May it be so, for the honor and glory of God Almighty. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, may it be so. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.